So let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit quicken the word of God. And Father, enlighten your people. And may the words of God be the words of life and of truth. That will produce your purposes on the earth. In the name of Jesus. Amen. <coughs> Well, you know, um, since last weekend, all we've had, the whole week, is all the atrocities that have taken place in Israel. And of course, the depravity that has taken place is beyond description. But in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 11, it says, The earth was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And that word violence, if you really want to look at the Strong's Dictionary, is the word Hamas. Right from the very beginning, there had been a spirit of violence in the earth. And all through the generations, that spirit has arisen, and the spirit has operated from one ethnic group to another ethnic group. And it's been throughout all of history. And so when we come to see the events of last weekend, we are coming and we are looking at the events which are spiritual. It is the spirits behind the people. And the demonic spirits, they are evil, they are wicked, they are corrupt, and they have no mercy. And they will drive people if people hand themselves over and open up to that realm, they will be taken over and driven by these spirits. And the Bible's got a lot to say about this. And if we look to Israel for the last 30, 40, 50 years, here is a couple of verses which are, I would apply to them. Psalm 120, verse 7. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. How do we know that they are for war? Because every single terrorist group, all from the very beginning since Israel was formed, they up to the mass, everyone says, we want to annihilate them and drive them into the sea. It is there in black and white. And what they done last week is just a demonstration of what it would do to all of Israel if they could have a week. But we have a higher authority and a higher power. But we have the God of Israel himself who neither slumbers nor sleeps. And the Bible says in Psalm 35, 20, For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. And so we get the scripture where it talks about peace, peace, but there's no peace. And we're in a situation where things have changed. And the Ecclesia are now having to cast off all the things which are not important because the spiritual warfare is now intense in the kingdom. And the Bible says we don't fight against flesh and blood, but it's principalities, it's powers, it's dominions, it's spiritual wickedness in high places. And how do we pray? We start to take authority in the Ecclesia and we start to declare into that realm of the spirit of these demonic entities, we start to declare confusion, 
We start to declare that they will turn on each other. We start to declare that the, the link that they have with each other will be tainted because of they don't believe each other, they don't trust each other, and that it's internal warfare. And we start to bombard that realm because we have power and authority to move in that realm. Now today I'm going to speak and give you an overview of what the scripture says. And when you come to the Bible, the Bible tells us history, it tells us the present, and it tells us what's going to come. It tells us the battles are going to come, it tells us the outline of these battles in the Old Testament, so we know it's coming. Jerusalem, the most fought after piece of ground in all of the world. Why is it the most fought after piece of ground? Because that's going to be the culmination of the end of the age. Because that is where Jesus is coming back to. And every demonic entity has forever fought over that piece of ground. But the first time it's mentioned is in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 14, 18, we read, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek, king of Salem, and Salem was the old name for Jerusalem. And he came, and he met Abraham, who was coming from the slaughter of the kings. And Abraham gave him tithes. So the very first time that we read about Salem, about Jerusalem, the person who is there represents the Lord. He is the king of Salem. And he is the one who Abraham comes. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 76 too, And Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. Asaph, he is a prophet, and in this psalm, he is prophesying what is going to happen at the end of time. He tells us up front that Salem, which is Jerusalem, is a place where God's going to have his tabernacle. It is a place where God is going to dwell. And we know it from the scriptures, there's coming the millennium. We know when the second coming of Jesus Christ comes, he comes to Jerusalem. He comes to establish his kingdom, and the Bible says he shall reign from Jerusalem. And so we know, as Asaph has prophesied, his words will come to pass. So we know what's coming. So there's a warfare, because the demonic realm are into the battle to prevent. Because when this place, this event takes place, all of their hope is gone. And so the war is intense, and is over Jerusalem. And Salem is similar to the word Shalom and to the word Shalom, which means peace. So here we have Salem, the city of peace, but has been the most fought after city throughout history. And if I had to list all, I'm going to list some later on, but if I had to list all the things that happened to it, we would be going through a huge list of people and events against Jerusalem. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 7, the verse 14, Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tent of his spoils. So we have to consider 
how great my cancer death was. The first man to rule from Jerusalem. And he was a great man. And we consider how his greatness that even Abraham the patriarch gave tithes and offerings. And they said that this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Notice what it says here. Interpretation of Melchizedek, first king of righteousness, then king of peace. No righteousness, then there's no peace. Righteousness has to come before peace comes. And Melchizedek is a king of righteousness, he is a king of peace. And then his name is telling us, until righteousness comes, there's no peace going to come. And when does righteousness come? It comes when the king of righteousness comes. In his glory and in his power to establish his kingdom. Because we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. When I pray for the peace of Jerusalem, what I'm expecting and how I think about it is, I'm praying for the second advent of Jesus Christ. Because until he comes, there's not going to be any permanent peace there. He is a prince of peace. But his righteousness has to be established. And then the peace comes. So the Bible is telling us without righteousness, there is no peace. And so as we go on through here, peace never comes until righteousness is established. But Melchizedek is not the name of a person, it is a title. And it encompasses both king and priest. And the Bible says he's a great man. He knew the living God. He is walking in his calling. He is recognized by Abraham as such, a man who is following after the purposes of God. Therefore, even Abraham gave of the tithes. Now, the Jewish rabbis, when they talk about Melchizedek, they identify Melchizedek as the person being Shem. In Genesis 9.26, they say, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. Shem was blessed of God. Shem was alive when this encounter took place. He was the reigning patriarch, the son of Noah, who was in the ark. Noah was a priest of the family who did offer sacrifices and burnt offerings before the Lord. So every possibility, he is the chief priest for the Shemites. And Hebrews 7 once said, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. And the designation Most High God, you're always going to find that in the book of Daniel, and that is always connected with the times of the Gentiles. And another interesting thing about this is, his priesthood was a greater priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. He blessed Abram, and he blessed Levi who was in the Lord's bedroom. So the Melchizedek priesthood was a greater priesthood. So the first thing that we learn in the scripture, Jerusalem was occupied by a man who served the living God. And what we find afterwards throughout all of history is the fighting over Jerusalem 
Now as we go through the scriptures, time passes, and Abraham's descendants go down to Egypt. But then God brings them out. You know, a strange thing happens in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 5. Here we have a religious book. Here we have a book about how to know the living God. A God that intervenes in history. And yet when we come to the story of Moses in the wilderness, what do we find? God says to Moses, take off your shoes. The ground that you stand on is holy ground. Do you know what I'm saying? That's incredible. Now the very first time the word holy comes up in the, the Bible, it's nothing to do about God being holy. It's all got to do with a piece of dirt. And God says to Noah, and to Moses, take off your shoes. You're standing in the holy ground. See, God is interested in land. And the Bible goes on to tell us, and we go through reading the Psalms 105, 106, you'll get a lot of the background. But Moses' commission was to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and take them to the land God had promised. God had promised, and we get the covenant that God gives to Abraham in Genesis 12, 7. God's word to Abraham, unto thy seed will I give this land. In Genesis 15, 18, it says, And God tells Abraham, The boundaries of the land his descendants will inherit, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And there's lots of scriptures around that. But what the Bible is telling us is that God is interested in land. God always has his eye on a particular piece of land. And the Bible tells us in Joshua 5.15 And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. So here we have another piece of land. God says it's holy. Mount Sinai, where Moses was, God said, this land is holy. Here is the ground crossing the Jordan, going into the promised land, God says, this land is holy. But it goes further, because when we come to 2 Chronicles, chapter 8, verse 11, it says, And Solomon brought up the daughter of Pharaoh out of the city of David, out to the house he had built for her. For he said, my wife shall not dwell in the house of David, king of Israel, because the places are holy, and whereunto the ark of the Lord has come. Do you know the places that the ark of the Lord went? You've got land in Sinai, it's holy. You've got land that you cross the border into the promised land, it's holy. And then the word of God says, that's not the only place. Everywhere the Ark of the Covenant has been, that land is holy. And the Bible tells us the places it's been. The Ark of the Covenant travelled round Jericho. It was on the west bank of the Jordan. 
away from Tisca, the east bank of the Jordan to the Golden Heights, away through Bashan and Gilead, through the land of the Philistines to Gaza Strip, and finished up in Jerusalem. And everywhere that ark went, there was great destruction. Because God will have a land which is holy for his purposes. Now the thing about the word of God when it comes to land, the children of Israel get judged just as much as the Gentiles get judged. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 2.7, And I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine inherit heritage an abomination. So the Lord takes Israel and he disciplines them because they polluted his land. And see, we don't need to deal with Israel to judge Israel because the God of Israel deals with Israel himself. And when people want to judge Israel, the son of God, get out of the way. And my judgment is better than yours. But we never need to do it because when they do wrong, God disciplines them. But see, God goes further than that. When the Gentiles come into the land, I'm just going to use this one as an example. In Isaiah 14, 25. And this is when Assyria came in. They said, I will break the Assyrian in my land and upon my mountain, and I'll tread him underfoot. Notice every time we're reading the scriptures, God keeps saying, it's my land. It's my land. It's my land. And the day in which we live, there's lots of corruption in that land. But God will have that land to be holy. And he will cleanse us. And he will do what's necessary to be done to bring holiness back to the land that is his land. And so we're in these times because remember, when Israel entered Canaan, during Israel's time in Egypt, in the wilderness, then Canaan, there weren't any ancient kingdoms. There was no Palestinian kingdom in, in Jerusalem. When Joshua fought, there was no capital. When Joshua came into the land of our 30 kings, and the land was divided amongst them. And the land was not known as Palestine, but it was known as Canaan. It was a fruitful land, flowing with milk and honey. But it's a land where the Israel was dispersed by the Romans. That land went into being a desert. And the rains never turned until Israel started coming back to that land. But in that land, when they went into the promised land, we read in Judges 1.8, now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem and taken it and smitten them with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. So well, they had been in Egypt, there were people occupying Jerusalem. And so when they come into the promised land, God gives them back the place of Jerusalem. And it's not long after that we find that the Jebusites came in and took it over. And then there was another battle to get it back. And so throughout history, there has been this coming and going over Jerusalem. And all over the time, it always happened through Israel's disobedience. We can look at a couple of major players over this. 
In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we read about Shishak, king of Egypt, who came and plundered Israel. In Isaiah 36 and 7, we can read about Sennacherib coming against Israel. We can read about Nebuchadnezzar three times coming up against Jerusalem. We can read about Antiochus setting up the, the, the image in the temple. And we can read about Titus maybe 70 destroying the city. We can read about the Romans destroying 135. But you know, the Bible tells us who the Palestinians are. In Exodus 15, the inhabitants of Palestine, they are the Jews of Edom, the men of Moab, and the inhabitants of Canaan. So the Bible tells us who they are. And as we go through history, the Persians were in Jerusalem in 559, the Crusaders in 1099, Salad in 1187, and then for 400 years up to 1917, the Turks were in. Jerusalem. In about the 1860s, the famed American writer Mark Twain traveled to Palestine. Palestine was the name at that time. And as he traveled through it, he said, I could walk for days and never see anybody. He said, This place is a desert. There's nothing here. There's no reason why anybody will come and live here. It is a hard place. As a desert. But you know, between 1880 and 1914, 1914, well, Israel and Jerusalem was under the Turks. Over 60,000 Jewish people emigrated and lived in Palestine. And when they came, the first inklings of the rain started to come back again. And while they were there, you could go to the census where they were taken all that time. And all different nationalities were in what is called Palestine. It wasn't just one group of people. And so in that period of time, Israel was returning, the rains were returning. But one of the things happened when the Jewish people returned, Arabs returned. <coughs> what does that remind us? It reminds us of the time of Esther. And it reminds us of the time of Nehemiah. Remember when Nehemiah came, they had this imbalance with Tobias who were there to stop the work of God, who came against the children of Israel. And before that time, back in Persia, Esther, there was a man called Haman who wanted to destroy all of Israel. Just like today in Persia and Iran, this modern name, you have people there wanting to destroy Israel. And the Bible said that which is being will be, there's nothing new under the sun. And so we have, right up till today, all the history, and never once in that period of time did the Palestinians ever occupy Jerusalem. The Palestinians you've got there are refugees from 1948. Who put them there? It was Arab nations. The Arab nations were behind getting the people there. 
And somebody during the week put a question, why doesn't the Arab nations take the Palestinians? Because they don't want their country destroyed. Because a big example was Lebanon, which used to be the powers of the East, totally destroyed because of them. Even today, this week, Egypt's putting up big country barriers. They don't want anybody coming in. They know what they are. So what we're dealing with over this whole course of time is we're de dealing with principalities and powers of wickedness who know that for their benefit, they need to occupy a place where the scripture says that Jesus is coming back to. It's all about preventing the word of God to be fulfilled. But I'm here to tell you today that the scriptures tell us how things are going to work out. The scriptures tell us the battles are going to be coming. And the scriptures tell us that God will have his way. God will have his way. God will have a harvest. And the time scale that God has set to return to Jerusalem will be fulfilled. And no enemy, no demonic power is going to prevent that taking place. And when we come to the scriptures, the scriptures talk about a number of battles that are still to take place. One is from Psalm 83, one is from Ezekiel 37, 38, as we know of the Armageddon. I'm just going to read you a few verses from Psalm 83. Because I believe this is where we are at this particular time in history. And it says, Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still, O God. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, and they hate thee, and have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people, and consulted against thy hidden ones. They have said, Come. Let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be no more in remembrance. For they have consulted together with one consent, they are confederate against thee. And earlier on I've told you who the Palestinians were. But this scripture goes on to tell us who these people are all fight against Israel. The tabernacles of Edom, and the Ishmaelites of Moab, Ishmaelites of Moab and the, the Hagarines, Gebel and Ammon, and Amalek. The Philistines were the inhabitants of Tyre. And at the moment, in the Gaza Strip, you have the Philistines, which is, which is the old name for the people who lived there. They call themselves the Palestinians. Gaza is the place where you call Gath. Gaza is a place of the giants. The most famous one that came was the one that David killed, Goliath. They have always been enemies of Israel and nothing's going to change. There are people there, the Bible says pray for your enemies because there will be people there who will turn to the Lord. But as a nation, as a people group, they have always been, and they will go with other 
and they'll be confederate of that wall and Iraq and all these other places. But the God of Israel, as we said in the beginning, neither slumbers nor sleeps. And so we have come into this time period where we know what is happening. And so every one of us is called for a time like this. And we're called to take up the word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, and start to make declarations and decrees and we come against the spiritual wickedness. And we start to bombard the spiritual wickedness. Because God is a God who hears and answers prayer. He is a God who delivers his people. You can pray for his people as you pray for yourself. That a thousand will fall on my right hand. And ten thousand on my left. But it will not come near me. You can pray that for the people of Israel, you can pray that for yourself. You can pray the word of God. What do you do? We take the word of God and we declare the truth of the word of God. Those who bless Israel are blessed. Those who curse Israel, you don't need to do it, they're already cursed. The word of God stands forever. Yes. And there's times when we can be just in order for life. And then everything is shaken because of what is taking place in the heavens. But we have now come into a place where there is major warfare. And so we have to rise up and we have to start to use the sword of the spirit. And we have to do battle because we are called into the army of the living God. When we got born again, we got called into an army. When we got born again, our captain of the Lord's host is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we stand with the word of God, we stand with the people of God, and we proclaim the word of God, and we fight the enemies of God. And that is our calling, and we have to know the days in which we live, and the calling that God has given us. Now we're looking to see people raised up who will do mighty exploits for God. We're looking here to see people raised up into the various ministries of apostolic, prophetic, to move in healings and miracles, because it's time to move and demonstrate the word of God. But it's time we've reached where the harvest is going to come in. And we want to demonstrate the word of God. Because the word didn't come just was only, it comes in power. It comes to set the captive free. It comes to bring deliverance. It comes to bring hope to people. When events take place, great fear can come. But see, our God delivers us from fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. We know who protects us and looks after us. We know who's side we're on. And so today, as we think of the people of Israel, as we see the great wickedness that's been done, let us arise, put on our armour, pick up our sword, and start to do warfare in the heavenlies. To see the battle which is raging turn to the glory of God. And as I said, one thing I believe is happening in this time, even in Israel, is that God is going to start to climb that line of all the sin and the wickedness in it. Because God is holy. And it says, It's my land. And if He's done in the past, He's going to do it again to deal with His people. So that holiness once more is in that land. But we are called to be holy even as our God is holy. We are called for such a time as this.
So if you're brave, get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Mm -hmm. And know that he who is for you is greater than he who is against you. And he who is for you lives in you. He's not way up in the sky somewhere. He lives in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. He is with you. He's in you. He is our great protector. He's a protector of this world. Let's pray. Father.